Welcome into Lockdown Blackhawks for Tuesday, April 14th, 2020. Jay Zawoski with you here. Thanks for tuning in. Today is Talk Back Tuesday. Thank you for all the great questions that rolled in ahead of today's show. But we've got some big Hawks news to get to as well. We'll do that all in a second. You ever want to get in touch with the podcast? Very easy to do. Voicemail 708 653 0572. The email is lockdownblackhawks at gmail.com. The Twitter account is at LO underscore Blackhawks. Follow me on Twitter at jzawaski670. And of course, the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast at Madhouse Pod. A new episode of that should drop sometime on Wednesday or potentially late Tuesday. But a new Madhouse Podcast coming very, very soon. In other podcast news, my other, other podcast, the I'm Fat Podcast, is not dead despite my partner losing his job uh, at 670 the score Rick Camp and I have carried on the I'm Fat podcast onto bigger and better places so a new episode of that dropped on Monday so go check that out as well I think you'll enjoy it no hockey in there just talking about food and great pizza and candy and all the stuff the fat people like me love so what is this big news you're talking about Jay well one of the big questions heading into this, well, whatever you want to call this, offseason or whatever it is, is would Ian Mitchell, the Hawks' top defensive prospect that has not played in Chicago yet, will he sign? And the answer is yes. Great scoop by Barstool Chief. Uh, he got it a couple days before it broke. He was the first to report it, and he was correct. The Blackhawks announced on Tuesday on Monday that the Blackhawks had agreed to terms with defenseman Ian Mitchell on a three-year entry-level contract due to the current pause of the 2019-20 NHL season. The start date and AAV of the contract have yet to be determined. Drafted in the second round by the Blackhawks in 2017, Mitchell recently completed his junior season at the University of Denver, where he was named first-team All-American and first-team All-National Collegiate Hockey Conference. Mitchell captained the Pioneers during the 2019-20 campaign, finishing the regular season sharing, sharing sixth among NCAA defensemen with 32 points, 10 goals, 22 assists. His 10 goals shared first among NCHC Blue Liners, where he also paced the conference defensemen in shorthanded goals two, game-winning goals three, and shots on goal 100. He was named a finalist for the NCHC Offensive Defenseman of the Year. So what did the Blackhawks have here and Ian Mitchell. Most importantly, they've got a guy that they believe and many believe can step right into an NHL role next season. It doesn't seem like he's going to need any sort of time to develop, any time in Rockford to play. Now there may be a moment, and we've seen this with some defensemen in the past, where they come to the NHL and you see after a couple games, like, all right, they maybe need a little bit of fine-tuning down in Rockford, and they do that, and that's fine. But the plan is for Ian Mitchell to be part of things quickly and that could mean if the season resumes this year it could mean a lot of things but at least at the very worst next year he'll be on the team so really good news there was a little bit of a concern because he didn't sign after last season and then the way things ended here people were a little worried that maybe he wouldn't get the deal done and he might opt to become a free agent but nope Ian Mitchell is in the fold and uh, very exciting so the kind of defenseman Ian Mitchell is, I will recommend to you, uh, Scott Powers had a piece about Ian Mitchell last week, and there's a lot of video footage of some of his best plays. Ian Mitchell is a tremendous skater. Not a very big defenseman. 
He's 5'10 or so, uh, not super you know, uh, physical, not super big, but he's a puck mover. Another puck-moving defenseman, uh, probably a little more of a polished defender than Adam Boquist without the offensive upside of Adam Boquist. So you're looking at, you know, instead of maybe a Brian Campbell type and Ian Mitchell, maybe you're looking at a Johnny Oduya type and Ian Mitchell. Does that make sense? Where Campbell is maybe a little more offensive-minded and not as reliable defensively, um, while the skating is still great, I think Mitchell and Oduya could be a pretty decent comp. Um, of course, these things are very hard to uh, determine without seeing a guy play an NHL game, but you should be excited to see Ian Mitchell in the fold for the Blackhawks. Uh, and all of a sudden now, they've got this core of defensemen that see- suddenly looks pretty good based on what we saw from Lucas Carlson at the end of the year last year and what we saw from... Uh, Nicholas Bodan in one game. Yes, it was one game, but he looked very, very good. Um, you know, you've already got Boquist in the NHL, and now you've got Ian Mitchell here. There's, It's a pretty decent-looking defensive core all of a sudden. You've still got Duncan Keith playing at a high level. So, you know, it's not too bad. You've got Keith, you got Murphy, you got DeHaan. Who knows what's happening with Brent Seabrook? But the defensive core is suddenly not awful. And I know a lot of people are screaming in their cars or wherever they're listening. Yeah, you could have had Yokoharu a part of that group too. Yep, that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. You could have had that, but you don't. Um, But look, things are looking pretty good. And if Mitchell becomes what they think he's going to, and Bokus becomes a player that we all think he's going to be, you know, things look pretty solid on on D. And you're trying to think about, like, how do the Hawks become contenders again, right? Like, how do you see that window opening again? Well, if these guys all develop the way you hope and Kirby Doc develops the way you hope and a couple other things break right, you could be in pretty decent shape. So I'm excited about Ian Mitchell being part of the Blackhawks. It was a little bit of a stressor hanging over my head because it was taking a while and they were announcing some other signings like Evan Barrett. Michael Tepley and all those things. Um, But Mitchell signed. That's the most important signing they have to make. He's in the fold. He's a Blackhawk. By the way, Thursday's show, that's the next show we're going to do. My guest is going to be Mark Lazarus from The Athletic. We've been trying to get him on for a long time. Finally was able to get something arranged, so don't miss Thursday's show. I hope you enjoyed uh, Friday's podcast with Barry Rosner. If you missed that, go back and listen. It was really good. I just sort of didn't have anything to talk about on Friday, and I texted Barry like, hey, you want to jump on for a while? And he said, yeah, sure. What the hell am I doing? Make sure you check out Friday's podcast, and make sure you're here for uh, the podcast on Thursday with The Athletics' Mark Lazarus. All right, without further ado, let's get to Talk Back Tuesday. It's Talk Back Tuesday here on Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. If you want to leave us a message, very easy to do. Us, meaning us is me. I am us. I am we. I am, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to not say we. You know, when I'm doing a podcast, I say, email me. It feels weird, even though I truly am the only person on this podcast. I edit, I produce it. I do all that stuff. I don't know why I have trouble saying I. Anyway, email me at LockdownBlackHawks at gmail.com and the voicemail 708 653 0572. That is exactly what Carter did. Hey, Jay, this is Carter. 
Uh, sorry if this is repetitive. You've probably covered it in a previous podcast at some point, but um, do you see any potential possibility of Eddie O becoming head coach uh, at some point in the future? Um, I know that Carlton's probably locked in here for the time being, but I just think that Eddie O would be so well-respected by the team, and uh, I think that every uh, Hawks fan would be really happy about that. Um, I just, I just would love to see Eddie O as head coach. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Thank you. Carter, thanks a lot for the question. Appreciate that very much. By the way, there's no question you can ask me that uh, I probably haven't mentioned, ad- answered before, but it's fine. Not everybody hears every episode. The only thing that drives me crazy is when someone's like, hey, uh, you know, you do Hawks stuff, right? Uh, yep. What do you think of the Hawks? Well, uh, I do approximately uh, five podcasts a week on the Blackhawks, so if you'd like to find my thoughts on the Blackhawks, uh, they're easily accessible every day. So sometimes that annoys me, but I should be happy that I have this cool op- All right, never mind. I'm just going to blather on here. Uh, Eddie Olchek is head coach. Um, I do think that there's part of Eddie that would like to get back into it. I think it would have to be an ideal situation. I think it would have to be whatever job he chose. I don't think he would just take any job. Um, that said, if I think the Blackhawks head coach job was offered to Eddie Olchek, I think he would take it. I really do. And that might be the one job. And this is just based on my opinion. This is not, and you, you guys know, I talked to Eddie O. I've had him on the podcast. This is not a conversation him and I have had. Every time I've asked him directly, he's been like, ah, you know, you never know. Just kind of, he shoes it off, you know, as he should. It's a good way to protect himself and any sort of negotiation or whatever he's like man i would do anything to get back into coaching that hurts him from a negotiation standpoint so um it makes sense for him to not say anything but i think that if the hawks job opened up i think eddie o would be quick to jump on it and i do think like i said i think that would be the one job he would abandon his current gig for because he's doing great at nbc he likes what he gets to do uh, when the horse racing stuff rolls around, he gets to do that too. Yeah, the travel schedule is tough, but I think he enjoys that. I think it's part of the job that he really, really likes. Um, there's also no pressure on him. Everybody loves him. You know, whatever city he goes to, people are happy to see him. He's not, you know, some broadcasters, uh, right or wrong, but I think of like Joe Buck. A lot of people hate Joe Buck. I happen to love Joe Buck, but a lot of people don't like Joe Buck. A lot of people hate Pierre Maguire. And that hatred, that vitriol from people can wear on you. And of course, there's a few exceptions. But for the most part, the reviews on Eddie Olchek are overwhelmingly positive. So I think for him to leave what he's got right now and to take on the stress and the roller coaster of being a head coach, it would have to be the perfect job. And I think, just me talking here, in Eddie O's mind, the perfect job is the Chicago Blackhawks head coaching job. Next question comes to us from Nate. He says, 10 years from now, assuming hockey returns to normal and the Hawks don't win any more Stanley Cups, how many new jersey numbers will be retired and will there be any new statues around the United Center? Personally, I think 1988, 2, and 7, as a joint Seabrook-Chelios, all get retired. Personally, I would also retire 81, but I'm not sure that happens. I think you can make a case for 50 and maybe 10 as well. I also think they will put up a single statue to recognize the 2010 through 2015 dynasty to cover all of these guys and Quenville. All right, that's a good question. This has been talked about a lot, 
and I've thought about it a lot. And I know the Hawks, at least the old regime, is very particular about numbers they retire. And that's how it should be. It shouldn't be everyone who's had success here. That said, there are a number of players from this dynasty that won three Stanley Cups. And those players have won more than anyone in franchise history ever before. However, I think it will be limited to Kane, Taves, Keith, and Seabrook. And I do think Seabrook gets Chelios up there with him. You can't put seven in the rafters and not have Chelios's number seven in there. Especially now that Chelios is part of the organization again, I think it's a no-brainer. I think it should happen. As for Hosa, three Stanley Cups, a huge part of it. I love Marion Hosa. Anyone who's ever listened to this podcast knows how much I love Marion Hosa. But I think these are reserved for homegrown players. And I think that would be the argument against Hosa and the argument against Sharp. Now, the question is, what about Corey Crawford? If you've listened to this podcast or the Madhouse podcast, you've heard me tell you Corey Crawford's place in franchise history. I don't need to rehash it. Maybe. Maybe Corey Crawford. It would surprise me. I think it goes to the four pillars of the dynasty, Taves, Kane, Keith, and Seabrook. I think that makes the most sense. I think it's the most easy to justify. Look, if they want to retire Hosa and Crawford and Sharp as well, I'm down. I'm not going to push against it by any means. But what about Nicholas Chalmerson? See, you start to get into some murky waters. And for me, the the great players from that era are those four. And look, Hosa was great too, but his best years were somewhere else. Patrick Sharp was great, but he wasn't like a face of the franchise kind of a player. He was a really, really good complimentary player. I think of the three, Hosa, Sharp, and Crawford, I think Crawford has the strongest argument. Because of his position, because of his longevity with the team, because of the accomplishments he's made with the team and where he stands in club history, I think he has a case and the fact that he's homegrown, of course. But if I'm betting right now, 1988-2-7. A couple more questions to get to here on Talkback Tuesday. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know uh, hockey's not top of mind right now, but hopefully this does a little bit to keep you hockey fans sane. I know there's been a lot of Bulls news, a lot of NFL news, and uh, the Hawks have gotten largely ignored uh, over this offseason. And they started making some news this week, too. We already talked about Ian Mitchell. Uh, Michael Tepley signed. Um, Bar- uh, Evan Barrett signed. I want to say Barrett Jackman. Woof, that would have been bad. Evan Barrett signs with the Hawks. So the Hawks are making some noise, too. It's just hard for you know, the everyday person to be like, who are these people? I've never heard of them. They're going to be good Blackhawks for a long time. So hopefully they start to get some attention here when things uh, dry up a little bit. But next question comes to us from Nathan. Last question was from Nate. This one's from Nathan, two different people. He says, there's been some talk lately about the possibility of each NHL team getting a compliance buyout with the cap likely to stay flat. If that happens, is it a given that the Hawks would buy out Seabrook? If not, what would be the reasons they keep him at such a high cap hit? Love the show. Stay safe. Nate, thank you very much. Uh, see, that's the thing. Like, yes, that is the logical buyout. There's no doubt about that. Like, if you're looking for a way out of that Zebra contract, and I absolutely think they should be, um, that's the obvious one. I don't think you're going to buy out Jonathan Taves, right? 
at ten and a half million? No. I mean, look, that's a lot of money. It's more than he's worth right now as a player. But Jonathan Taves is still really damn good with good hockey ahead of him. Duncan Keith only makes five and a half million a year. You can already buy out Mata for not that much. Connor Murphy makes three point eight, so there's no other real like obvious high salary buyout. I mean, you want to buy out Calvin DeHaan, Shaw. I think this, if if this happens, it creates the unique opportunity to get out of this contract of Brent Seabrooks at six point eight seven five million until the end of twenty twenty three twenty four. That's really hard to swallow. That's really hard to justify. And the question is, are they willing to simply send Brent Seabrook to the wind like that? We just talked about how he'll probably be one of the four of this era to have his number retired. Is a guy you hold in that high regard, can you just wave goodbye to him like that and just... Here's your money. See ya. Bye. There's ways around that. You could buy him out. Then he could retire. Then he could be a coach, an assistant coach, an assistant to the GM, an ambassador. There's a lot of ways around it. But it's important to remember how highly the Blackhawks regard Brent Seabrook, and they should. If you've been watching any of these old Hawks games, you'd remember how important Brent Seabrook was at 03 Stanley Cup teams. And beyond that, how he was, him and Jonathan Taze were the two biggest leaders of the team. They remain the two biggest leaders of the team. Buying him out, it's not as simple as, you know, on your Xbox or uh, PS4, are you sure you want to buy out Brent Seabrook? X, yes. It doesn't, it's not that simple. There's ripple effects. Should they do that? In my opinion, absolutely. Yes, they should. But I caution you. It's easy for me to say. It's easy for you to say. It's not as easy for those people who have been in the building with Brent Seabrook every day all those years to simply just wave goodbye to him. It's the right hockey move to make. There's no doubt about it. Will the Hawks have the nerve to make the move? Next email comes from Steve. He says, Jay, I have not heard you mention the passing of Pat Whitey Stapleton, who died on Thursday. Uh, anything you want to add? What are your thoughts on him as a player? Well, I did not see Pat Whitey Stapleton play for the Blackhawks, so I did not have any thoughts on him. Truth be told, the reason I put Barry Rosner on the show on Friday was to talk about Pat Stapleton, but the conversation was so good and the podcast went on so long that I didn't even have time. I edited that part out. So I never saw him play. Barry saw him play a little bit and has a better idea of the sort of player Pat Stapleton was. So take it away, my man, Barry Rosner of the Daily Herald. Well, full disclosure, in in the, say, the 71 and 73 finals against Montreal, I was really too young to, uh, to be like what you would call an authority on Whitey Stapleton. But what I do remember is, and I was trying to think of a comp after you texted me earlier, uh, that you wanted to talk about this. And the first guy I thought of was Tory Krug. Hmm. And uh, Whitey was, uh, for his time, a really good offensive defenseman. He was quarterback of the power play. He um, was a good defensive player. But when I think of, when I think back to him and watching him play, I think Tory Krug. So not a bad player. I mean, really, actually, 
when you go back and look at it, and I wouldn't have guessed this till I, till I went back and looked, you know, he was a multiple times second team all-star, you know, postseason second team all-star. And back then that was a very big deal when they did the voting mm-hmm. after the season, if you were a first team all-star or second team all-star, that was a big deal. Cause you're talking around 71, 72. Who are we talking about? We're talking about, you know, you're talking about Bobby Orr and, and Brad Park and Whitey Stapleton was making the second team every year. So, um, you know, I would imagine Serge Savard or, you know, uh, Larry Robinson, guys like that. So, I mean, he was a, he was a really good player for his time for a Blackhawks team that threatened to win the Stanley cup a couple times. He was their best defenseman. So, um, he was a good player. He was always teamed with Bill White, who was a stay at home defenseman. And in fact, those two, I do remember this. I remember watching the summit series, the 72 summit series and Stapleton and white were the best pair for team Canada. So that's a, that's, that's a pretty big deal. Kind of reminded me of um, if you remember back to the end of the 2010 Olympics Mm -hmm. in Vancouver, if you remember when it started, it was all about Niedermeyer and Pronger. But by the end, it was pretty much Keith and Dowdy, wasn't it? On the ice when it really mattered. Yes. And that's kind of what it was like with uh, Stapleton and White. So teammates, partners on the Hawks for a long time, partners on Team Canada in the 72 Summit Series, and a really nice player. You know, for his time, obviously everything is relative. Uh, different games, different styles, but he was, he set the record. He at one point held the record for the most assists in a season by a defenseman. I think it was 50 or 51, something like that. It was broken the next year by Bobby Orr. That Orr guy was pretty good, but yeah, Whitey Stapleton was a nice player. He left the Hawks after the 73 finals signed with the Chicago Cougars, um, and, you know, we know the, the WHA did not do well in the years to come. But uh, I, he must have signed himself a pretty nice deal with the Chicago Cougars. He was also, strangely, talk about the weird things you remember. He was Wayne, Gretz, Wayne Gretzky's first coach in Indianapolis. Hmm. Where Gretzky scored like 215 goals or whatever it was. <laughs> I remember at his restaurant in Toronto, they have old, uh, like, statistics sheets that his, like, junior coaches kept, and the numbers are just, they're comical. There's an extra digit in most categories for him. Um, they were pretty comical. They were pretty comical in the NHL, yes, too. Yes, you're right about that. But, yeah, so Whitey Stapleton was his first coach, and Whitey in his first year in the WHA was named best defenseman in the league. So he was, uh, you know, he was a he was a really good hockey player and at a, at a time when offensive defensemen weren't really that typical of, of the era in which he played, he was a, he was a really good offensive defenseman, but also good in his own end. So a, a big part of what should have been a pretty special era of Chicago Blackhawks hockey, unfortunately they ran into the Canadians in 71 and a red hot Ken Dryden as a rookie. They lost that series in seven games after 72 Bobby Hull left. So they played seven, that 73 series without Bobby Hull lost in six games. Makita was brilliant in that series and uh, (laughs) game six, 
I remember that my dad got us tickets to go to a theater in Park Ridge called The Pickwick. It was a movie theater. Still there, and that's I how we watched. That's how we watched Game 6 because the games weren't on TV. Man. That's that would be that game they should six. they should start doing that again. That would be so cool to go watch a hockey game in a theater. I would love that. I would do that in a heartbeat. As long as there's no other people there. All right I rem- <laughs> All I remember, yeah, that well that's the problem. Yeah. There's there's other people there. Um I remember uh I remember Jerry Korab being bad in game 6 against Montreal at home. That's about it. That's all I could tell you about that game. So there you have it. Pat Whitey Stapleton, a good offensive defenseman, one of the first of his kind. Uh, great stuff there from Barry Rosner. If you want to hear that whole conversation, once again, go listen to Friday's, last Friday's, uh, April 10th's Locked on Blackhawks podcast. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. Thank you for joining me. Remember, next episode is Thursday with special guest Mark Lazarus. You're not going to want to miss that. Also, uh, late today or early Wednesday, there will be a brand new Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Make sure you check that out as well. But until then, thanks for listening to Lockdown Blackhawks. We're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. And now that this podcast is over, ask your smart speaker to listen to the latest episode of Locked on NHL. My name is Jay Zawoski. Have a great Tuesday and Wednesday. We will talk to you on Thursday morning. Stay safe. Stay home. Wash your damn hands. And uh, take care of yourselves. We'll talk to you very, very soon on Lockdown Blackhawks.